Greetings. I'm going to do a two-part series on the person and work of Christ. Two titles, if you want to call it that. One being the Lamb of God, which we'll talk about this time. And the other being the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So a lamb and a lion. A lamb is very gentle, defenseless. A lion is the king of the jungle. So these are two references to the person and work of Christ. You might think of it as phase one and phase two, or how he does deal with humanity. Now, I do want to say that they're not mutually exclusive of each other, because even though we're talking about the Lamb of God today, there are times he still functions as the lion, where God still judges in this world. For example, Herod in the New Testament, uh, one of the Herods, that people said the voice of a God not of a man Herod received this worship and God determined he wasn't gonna let that go and an angel of the Lord struck him and he was eaten with worms and then he died well that's a bad way to go so we're also told in another place that all these sins that are listed I think it's in Ephesians he says and on, on account of these things the wrath of God comes present tense so the lion coming now in terms of God acting as judge and avenging or visiting people for their sins. So it isn't that he's only the lamb or always only the lion. He'll always be the lamb of God to me, period. And we're going to take a look at part of what that means. Now, in presenting this to you, I just want you to know what my goal is. I want you to uh, think differently about the person of Jesus Christ. Before I get into the first passage out of Peter, the Jewish nation, they were looking for their Messiah, or the Christ, or the Anointed One, to be a victorious warrior for the nation, Israel. Well, there's actually a couple of mistakes that they made with that. The true Israel are all of the believers. That's the seed of Abraham. I don't want to get in a big thing here. But it's not just the physical Jews. Of the physical Jews, even when God was working with them through the Mosaic Covenant, the law that was given, it was always a remnant he talked about being saved, not the entire group. And so even here, when Peter is going to talk to us about the prophets, giving us some insight into the sufferings of the Christ. In other words, this first phase of the Lamb of God being a sacrifice for us. Not all the Jews believed that the prophets or the Psalms were from God. The Sadducees believed only the first five books, the books attributed to Moses, were from God, and none of the rest of this. So that's why when Peter tells us uh, what I'm going to say here, that doesn't mean all the Jews believed that the prophets were speaking from God, so they would have completely missed this part. But even those who did believe that the prophets and the Psalms were inspired by God, they didn't understand about the suffering servant. When Peter was talking to Jews that were scattered all over the Roman Empire, the dispersia, because he was actually sent to the Jews, he makes this interesting point. He says, as to this salvation or this deliverance we're talking about, in other words, the Lamb of God, what Jesus did on the cross, the prophets who prophesied or predicted of the grace that would come to you, they made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time 
the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as that spirit, the same spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So the sufferings of Christ, the Lamb of God, and the glories to follow, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Even the angels are trying to figure this thing out. How is God going to deal with sinful human beings and not violate his justice, not violate his righteousness, and somehow bring us out of sin and to himself? So they were seeking to figure this out. Well, let's take a look at an example of what Peter's talking about. I want to go back to about 1000 B.C. as a round number. King David. So he writes this song. And think of it this way. Hey, everybody. I just wrote a song. And I want you to come listen to my song I wrote. Here are the lyrics to this song. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, let me stop right there. Does that sound familiar? That's one of the seven sayings when Jesus was on the cross. When he pushed up on the nails, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's at that point that he had been separated from God the Father and was turned into sin when he's on that cross. So David writes, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, people listening to his new song, they could say, okay, you know, David had some troubles. I can see why he's singing that, maybe. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Well, this could be David's experience. Yet you are holy, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you did deliver them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. So people listen to this new song. David, this is a good song you got going here. You're right. Because our fathers did trust. They were delivered. But I am a worm and not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They hurl insults at me. They wag their heads saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him, let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. So we got a bunch of people mocking David, right? Well, it depends when David wrote this. If this was very early on, let's say right after he killed Goliath, the people weren't sneering at him and mocking him commit yourself to the Lord. They were saying Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Now, if David wrote this, and I don't know when he wrote it, later in his life, maybe when Absalom had run him out of Jerusalem, well then maybe people could hear this new song and say, okay, this is David talking about being run out by his own son and people mocking him and all the rest that happened there. Well, then David goes on. Here's some more of my song. 
Yet even though I've got all these troubles and everybody's mocking me, you are the one that brought me forth from the womb. Thou did makes me trust when on my mother's breasts. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. Beautiful lyrics. So they can say, okay, David, man, you've got a good song going there. Now listen to this next part. I'm going to read right straight through this. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Basham have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. So David is singing a song, and he's talking about all of his bones out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. David, when did this happen to you? And thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. David, what are you singing about? You've never had your hands and feet pierced. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Well, somebody listening to these lyrics, they say, David, what are you talking about? I don't know if David knew what he was talking about or not. I'm certain that this part, and maybe some of it after here as well, when Jesus pushed up on that nail to get air and yelled out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he slunk back down, his mind is still working. And I believe what we have right here are his thoughts immediately after speaking that. Because they did pierce his hands and his feet. I don't know that there was any execution in David's time that would be like that. Crucifixion was designed, at least my understanding is, by the Romans. If they were going to execute someone, they didn't want to trust in some kind of afterlife somebody gets punished. They wanted that one being executed to suffer here and now. So they devised a method of execution that was to be exceedingly torturous. Even with that, they didn't always pierce the hands and the feet with nails. Uh, I've read that they would tie them on there and people would linger for days on this cross. But in Jesus' case, his hands and his feet were pierced. When he talks about all of my bones are out of joint, one of the things that we're told about the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, is not a bone was to be broken. That's when Jesus on the cross, the religious Jews wanted Pilate to get that body off the cross so it wouldn't defile the Sabbath. He sent to have the legs broken of these guys. Well, they came to Jesus and they saw he's already dead, so they did not break his legs. That's a very unusual thing to have happened because at that point, the Romans were under orders. They violated an order by not breaking his legs. But the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, was not to have any bone broken. And so Jesus' bones were not broken. But whenever they say they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots, that is exactly the scene that Jesus was looking down at when he's on that cross. David had none of this kind of experience. 
Now, I've written a lot of songs. I think many of you know that. I've got 100 and, I don't know, 78 or so that are Christian songs. And before I became a Christian, probably about 40. And I can tell you something. All the lyrics to all my songs, they make sense to me. They're something that I've either experienced or something that I want to share. It's not that I'm writing something that is nonsense, that I have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know if David knew what he was writing or not, but that's where we're told in Peter here that there was these indications, indicators of the sufferings of the Christ. We find it also in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. Now the Jews that did not believe that the Psalms and the prophets or any of this was from God, David just said, David, whatever you're talking about is just gibberish. But for those like the Pharisees and others that did believe the Psalms and the prophets were inspired by God and as part of the Hebrew Bible, the, the sacred writings, they wouldn't have known what to do with a passage like this or Isaiah 53 or others that are about the suffering of the Christ or what I'm talking about is the Lamb of God. And just to blurt this part out, the whole sacrificial system that was instituted under Moses, the Passover lamb was the focal point of all the sacrificial system. That's the one on atonement, where, which means sins being paid for. It'd be a lamb that was spotless and unblemished. And that blood of that lamb, that sacrificed lamb, was to take care of our sins. Well, we're told that the entire sacrificial system was all shadows and types that were pointing to the sacrifice. David, and I'm sure many other Jews, knew that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away human sin. So they knew it was pointing to something. But again, that's where the Jews as a nation missed this first phase of Jesus coming and being the Lamb of God to pay for our sins. Now, this function of the Lamb of God, I think the way to look at it, you have the Old Testament system that is pointing to the cross, the actual sacrificial lamb on the cross, and the cross is the watershed moment, or the apex, the top point of this being the Lamb of God, and then from that point on, which we are now in, he is still presented as the Lamb of God. In other words, what he did and us receiving that for our sins are forgiven. So even in the future here, listen to this reference to this as the Lamb. After these things, John is talking in the Revelation, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Now this is symbolic. Maybe it'll be physical white robes, but white robes will be a reference to being cleansed. And palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Or that could even say, even to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Well, then one of the elders said to John, 
These who are clothed in white robes, this great multitude from every tribe, nation, who are they? And from where have they come? And John said, My Lord, you know. And he said to him, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. We may not be in the great tribulation, but I'll tell you what, this life is trouble. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they shall hunger no more, neither shall the sun beat down on them or any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this phase or this mission of the Christ or this aspect of the Messiah is he's presented to us as the Lamb of God. When John the baptizer was going to baptize Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Most people had no idea what John was talking about. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They didn't know that Jesus was the actual Passover Lamb, the, the real one, to where our sins could be paid for because it took one who was in the likeness of sinful flesh to be able to take the sins of humanity on himself to where that blood is the only thing that can pay for our wrongdoings. 27 times he's referred to in the Revelation as the Lamb of God. So this aspect of him or this declaration about him is continuing on. So even in the very last chapter of the Revelation, he says, And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So he's still, even at this point, referred to as the Lamb. And he said, There shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. There shall no longer be any night, etc. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. So even there, he's still the Lamb in terms of that function. That's why I said earlier, I believe he'll always be the Lamb of God to me. So it's not that he's exclusively just the Lamb of God, and then he's just exclusively the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Because even now he does function as a lion in many cases. But we're going to look at that next week more closely. So I think with that I just want to close. I do appreciate you listening. I hope that this has been beneficial. With the songs I do, I want to put up here one, and it's called This is the Sun. So if you'd like to click on that, I think I'll have the, the link up there. And uh, you can always go to my YouTube channel if you can get YouTube. And uh, just type in the search this is the Son. If you'd like to hear that song, it's from Isaiah 53. That's another one of these passages that talks about the suffering servant hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, predicting the sufferings of Christ. If you ever watch any of my commentaries on my songs, I always conclude by saying, like I always say, listen to these matters and you will learn great and mighty things you did not know and you will indeed live.